So we're changing things up a little bit. You know, so often we come together in song so that we can prepare our hearts to receive from his word. And today we're going to flip that. We're actually going to get into his word to prepare our hearts for worship today. So we're going to take some time at the end of this message to sing some songs because as we look at the scripture we're going to examine this morning in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25, what it concludes with, Elizabeth and worship of God. So this morning, as, as we get into the word, I felt like there's no better way to conclude, but exactly as this passage of scripture shows us. So we're going to dive into the word this morning. And if you're new to the church, before Shelly and I came to Connection Point, we were living and working overseas in Jerusalem. We were leading a school for Palestinian youth and an international church in Jerusalem. And before that, we were in Sudan leading a school for Sudanese youth. Our undergraduate degrees are in education, so we were using that as a way to make a difference for the kingdom overseas. But we left Sudan, headed to Jerusalem. We left because we wanted to get involved in church planning. Shelley and I love the church. We have a heart for the church. And we firmly believe that God changes the world through the church. And so we left Sudan because our time there, we knew that we'd uh, have to stay in leadership at the school, so the leadership blessed us in leaving. But God, in his great irony, he led us to Jerusalem to run another school. Oh, the mystery of God sometimes in the way that he wants to work things out. But we were in Jerusalem for about a year, and I just really began to pray to ask the Lord, Lord, I know that you led us here. We always want to walk in obedience to you. We trust your script for our lives more than we want to script our lives. And I just began to ask, well, Lord, when are you going to bring that to pass? When, when will you have us involved in the church so we can see your church established? It was in our hearts to see that happen. And so I'd ask you this morning, have you ever found yourself in a place of waiting? Ever been promised something that hasn't shown up in your life yet? Do you look at the promises of Scripture and wonder how they will unfold in your life? Maybe even wondered if they're true. What about the promise from Romans 8.28 that says, All things work together for our good. Have you ever wondered, really God? Everything? I face some challenging times. Or how about the promise we find in Philippians 1.6 that says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Have you wondered if that's, if that's true? Or 1 Corinthians 10. The promise that no temptation has seized us that's not common to others. And the promise that God can lead us a way of escape that he won't tempt us beyond what we can bear. Have you ever wondered if that promise is true? It's not uncommon to walk through life to be facing difficult circumstances going through a dry time spiritually, or to be dealing with temptation and wondering, are these promises true? Will God come through for me? In the first chapter of Luke, this is exactly where we find Zechariah and Elizabeth and the entire nation of Israel. They are in a place of waiting, waiting for the promises of God to be fulfilled, wondering, will God come through for us? But what we see in our passage this morning is that after 400 years of silence, God is on the move. The period of waiting for God to intervene and for the Messiah to come is about to conclude. The waiting is almost over. And as we examine our scripture passage this morning, here's what we're going to find, that we can be confident in the promises of God. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, if you don't, you can take a Bible. There's one underneath your seat. You're welcome to take that home if you don't have one. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 this morning, verses 5 through 25. 
And I'm also going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to give you some exercise today. This is a long passage. I trust and hope it's not the most scripture reading you've done this week. But we'll see. So we've got Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So this is our Zach and Liz. They work in our kids' area, too, in case you didn't know that. (laughs) They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord." And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advancing years." And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended... He went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. Well, two weeks ago, we started our series on Luke, Jesus Ignited. And as we work through Luke, here's what we're going to see, that God sent Jesus, who lived a naturally supernatural life, and change the world forever. This series is called Luke, Jesus Ignited, because Luke is all about a Spirit-empowered Messiah. The book of Acts, the second in Luke's series, it's all about the Spirit-empowered community, the Spirit-empowered church. So if our series for Luke is Luke, Jesus Ignited, what would Acts be? Acts, take a guess, the church, what? Ignited. Yes. You guys are the the A group. Well done. So we're going to move from Luke into Acts, and as we do that, we're going to see a Spirit-empowered Messiah and a Spirit-empowered church. Jesus ignited and the church ignited. It's been a lot of fun to read a chapter of Luke a day. I'm not sure how many of you have have jumped in on that. I've talked with many, and and I know a lot of you are. And as I've been reading through a, a chapter of Luke a day, so if you weren't here two weeks ago, the challenge was read a chapter of Luke a day along with your other Bible reading. And the reason we want to do that is there's 24 chapters in Luke, so it means you'll read Luke once through about every month. And as we do this, as we walk through the series, 
The reason I want you to do that is because as you read Luke, you read Jesus. If you want to know about Jesus, you need to be in Luke. Over half of the gospel is his words, his spoken words. So I want you to learn much about Jesus. So I want you in Luke. And how many people picked up a good Bible for this series? I challenge you, pick up a good Bible. Anybody do that? Some of you, maybe you already have a good Bible. I'm going to go with that. Um, some picked up a study Bible. Shelly has a journaling Bible. A couple others had shown me that as well, so that they can take notes in their margins and not worry about how much they're writing. But here's what I'd encourage you to do. Whatever Bible you have, at least write the theme of every message next to the verses that we cover. So two weeks ago, we covered verses 1 through 4. And as we did that, here was the theme. Following Jesus should motivate you to tell others about his great story. So if you don't have that in your Bible, feel free to write that in there. That's verses 1 through 4. That's the theme. And if you missed the first message, I'd like to encourage you, please go back and watch that. You can watch it on our YouTube channel by searching for CPC TV, or you can listen to it on iTunes by listening and searching for Connection Point Podcast. I want you to hear it because it builds a foundation for us as we move through this book, this great book of the Bible. And now the theme for this particular message, verses 5 through 25, it is this, that you can be confident in the promises of God. So as you're working through and writing in the Bible, you'll have your own commentary on Luke. Now I want to dive into these verses so that we can see how God keeps his promises and prepares the way for Jesus to come. And as we examine, here's the first thing we'll find that you can be confident in the promises of God because he desires a relationship with us. What a promise that is. So in the first century, Zechariah would have been one of about 18,000 priests. Some commentaries say 8,000. Oh, numbers are hard to land on sometimes in the first century. Kind of keep that in the back of your mind as we work through Luke. But any, either way, we know that there was a lot of priests in the land at this time, and Zechariah was one of those. But to that end, he would have been somewhat common. Sometimes we think this priest was this extraordinary person. There weren't many of them. But in the end, there were a lot in the first century. And here's what we know, that a priest would serve two non-consecutive weeks a year. So Zechariah might serve in March for a week, and then he's going to go back later in the year and serve another week. And he might serve also during the festivals, festivities, because it requires more priests. But this particular opportunity before Zechariah to serve by burning incense in the temple near the Holy of Holies... This, for him, was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This was the closest he was going to get to the presence of God in the first century, near the Holy of Holies. The only person that could get closer was the high priest. So this is a special moment for Zechariah. This occurs during one of the two prayer times, 9 a.m. or 3 p.m. And because there's people praying outside, we see that in the passage, it seems like it's the afternoon time because that's when people would come during the day and pray at the temple. So it seems that Zechariah, he's been serving faithfully for God for a lifetime, 60 plus years. It says he was advanced in years. And he's been going through the motions. He's serving the Lord faithfully. His once in a lifetime opportunity shows up. There's people praying outside and an angel shows up for Zechariah's special day. Zechariah places incense on the altar. And at this moment, God begins to work in a fresh way to redeem humankind by revealing his plan to send a forerunner for the Messiah. God's been silent 400 years. And now he shows up with a message for Zechariah. You know, it's interesting that God chooses a moment of worship and a time when people recognize their need for cleansing from sin. There was a perpetual sacrifice happening. That's why they burn the incense, to cover the smell of the sacrifice. So people are sacrificing for their sins. They've come together in worship, and God shows up. You know, for us, 
Sometimes we kind of reverse that order. We hope that God will speak and then maybe we'll start to worship. But this shows us you start to worship and God's going to show up. We can't confuse that order. Let's make sure we get it straight. God shows up in the ordinary rituals of first century Judaism. You know, here's the point. God has a way of showing up in extraordinary ways during regular moments in life. This wasn't odd for, you know, even though this is a once in a lifetime for Zechariah, this is regular Judaism here. This was happening every day of the year. And God shows up in an extraordinary way in an ordinary moment in the life of Judaism. Zechariah is faithful 60 plus years, serving in the temple, and as a part of his regular routine, God shows up in an extraordinary way. As a freshman at Northern Illinois University, my first year in college was there, right outside of Chicago in DeKalb, Illinois. I had gone out for a run after classes in the springtime, and I was there on an ROTC scholarship, had plans to go into the military after college, and as I was sitting there stretching after that run, that's there that God spoke to my heart about becoming a pastor, about being a minister of his word. I had been faithfully following God and never strayed from that, had been searching what does God want me to do with my life, and in a very ordinary moment of my life, God shows up in an extraordinary way. And my life from that moment forward went in a completely different direction. So I would like to ask, are you faithfully following God? Are you living in such a way that God can show up in the ordinary events of your life, speak, answer your prayers, and make himself known in extraordinary ways? In what way have you postured your life to hear from God? Live for God and watch as he shows up in your life. When God granted Zechariah and Elizabeth a child, he was answering a personal and a corporate prayer simultaneously. Zechariah appears to have been praying for a son because the angel says, your prayer, Zechariah's prayer, has been answered. But now the people outside of the temple, they're not praying for Zechariah to have a son. They're praying for a redeemer. They want to be let loose. They don't want Roman occupation. They're praying for the Messiah to come. And how does God respond? God reveals that Zechariah's prayer has been answered. He's going to be given a son. God addresses a personal desire, a very personal prayer for Zechariah. And then the angel shares that John will be a forerunner, one to prepare the way for the Messiah. And in this way, God answers the prayers of those outside the temple as well. By acting on behalf of Zechariah and Elizabeth, God is acting on behalf of Israel. God's desire for relationship causes him to intervene in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth personally, but also for Israel by sending a forerunner. God keeps his promises because he desires relationship with his people. He desires to have a relationship with you and with myself. You know, when God spoke to me as a freshman at NIU, he was answering a prayer. I had been praying, asking God what he wanted of my life. In the fall, I went through a devotional called Experiencing God, and God showed me I had made a script for my life. I had made plans for my life. And he began to convict me to say, but what about the plans I have for your life? So I started praying. I was faithfully following him, attending the local church there in DeKalb, Glad Tidings Assembly of God. It was a great church. And as I was faithful to follow the Lord and faithfully praying, God, what do you want me to do? He showed up and revealed his plan. He answered my prayer. He told me what he wanted me to do. Now, part of that plan, including us going overseas, and preparing for what God wanted to do here. But what I find interesting as I was reflect, reflecting on this passage, that 20-year-old prayer, so that was 20 years ago, I was a freshman in college. Man, has time gone fast. 
20 years ago, he answers my prayer to give me direction, but what I find interesting is that prayer was answered in this church as you were praying for a pastoral transition. What does God want to do through this church? God used that prayer to also answer a corporate prayer. Does that make sense? It's amazing how God, if you're faithfully living for him, what you might think is a personal prayer has corporate implications. When God answers your prayers, it oftentimes impacts the kingdom of God in larger ways. One of the observations we're going to make as we work through the next couple of chapters is that God's purposes are often made known in the context of prayer. Zechariah is offering incense. People are praying at the temple. They're praying outside of the temple, and God speaks. I mentioned it last week, and I'll reinforce the thought now, that if you want God to show up in your life, God still speaks today. He speaks through prayer. He speaks through the church. He speaks through his word. But you've got to be in the context of prayer so that you can hear from him. So I encourage you, wake up 15 minutes early. If 15 minutes is what you have to be able to devote to the Lord in prayer, use that. But don't just use that as your conversation with him. Take time to also listen from him. God wants to speak into your life. Wait in his presence and allow him to speak over you. Scripture tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were advanced in years. I love that phrase. It didn't say they were old. It says they're advanced in years. Can you get more politically correct than that? Yes. Amen. I'm getting it. You thought PC was a new thing. Luke is politically correct in the first century. So there's many of you in this room. You're not old. You're simply advanced in years. When they ask you if you're a senior citizen, tell them, no, I'm simply advanced in years. I'm way ahead of the game. I'm in the advanced class. It seems in that phrase, though, that Zachariah and Elizabeth, they're 60 plus years old. They are advanced in years. And what we're going to examine in the life of Zachariah is it appears that he was happy with where he was at spiritually. He's glad for his opportunity to serve in the temple, no doubt, but he's been going through the motions of temple service for 60 plus years now. You know, it could be that he was no longer concerned with pursuing God in the way that he originally had. The reason scholars make this argument is because he doubted the message brought to him by the angel. An angel shows up and he doubts it. This once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, maybe, maybe Zechariah thinks, well, this is normal. Angels show up in this place. I don't know. But Zechariah doubts. He's going through the motions of temple service, and it seems he's lacking in zeal. He's no longer living by faith. Although he's living for God, it appears he stopped living by faith. He was in cruise control. And the problem is a cruise control approach to life, it risks a slow spiritual decline. It seems Zechariah needed a fresh lesson of faith to avoid a slow motion spiritual fall. So God sent an angel to scare him, wake him up, and bring a message of hope. All because God desires a relationship with us and he keeps his promises. In what spiritual state do you find yourself this morning? Are you in cruise control, simply going through the motions? Maybe you've served for 40 years in the church, and now you've retired from your job, and you're thinking, I've served the society and my work, I've served the church, and now I'm just going to cruise into eternity. But I've got news for you. To live is Christ. To live is to live for Jesus. So long as you have breath in your lungs, you're still in the race, and we're all called to run the race well. The Apostle Paul instructs us in the book of Galatians, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. There is so much to be reaped here. 
Entire families in our community that don't know Jesus, and they need to be brought into the kingdom. Stay in the fight. Stay in the race. God isn't done with you yet. Serve as a mentor for new believers. Come serve on Tuesday with the food pantry. Serve at the newcomer's lunch, helping you prepare people. Serve in the parking lot. Greet people with that welcome sign. You need to stay in the race. No matter your age, you matter much in the kingdom of God. Don't waste the life you've been given because God desires a relationship with you. You can be confident in the promises of God because he prepares people to receive him. While Shelley and I were, were living and working in Jerusalem, the opportunity came to plant an international church there in Jerusalem. So we put everything together, had a great team of people to work with, and God blessed the work of our hands. And within six months, we started a second campus in Bethlehem. But all of that was to prepare us for what he ultimately wanted us to do here. We've seen that now. You can always look back on life and see much more clearly through the rear view than you can through the front. Anybody had that experience? About a month before we visited Connection Point last September, a church on the East Coast asked if I would come and lead their multi-site campuses. And I knew God wasn't in it, so it was easy to tell him no. But what God was doing there is preparing my heart to receive the request here a month later. So that way when the request came, God said, I'm doing something. Are you listening? When the deacons asked about leading Connection Point last September, we looked back and we could see the indications of how God was working all along the way. We knew God was in it, and a 20-year-old promise was about to come true. The plan of God and the role of John the baptizer plays are indications of the detail God took in reaching out to save humanity. He did not just send a savior, he first sent someone to point the way to him. God often leaves indicators that he's at work if we just keep our eyes and our hearts open to see it. Rarely does he just show up unannounced. You know, a couple of verses that stood out to me as, we, as I was going through this passage, I dig deeply into these as I, I work through messages, is verses 16 and 17. I want to reread those. Here's what, here's what Luke writes. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. So the angel speaking to Zechariah, talking about what John's going to fulfill. And he says, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Here's what Luke is doing. Luke is taking the last couple of verses of the Old Testament in Malachi. I'm going to flip back to that. So let me go backwards between Mark and Matthew. And what he's doing is he's actually tying now the Old Testament to the New Testament. So God has been silent 400 years. He makes some promises in Malachi. And now Luke is saying in the beginning part of his narrative, it's all coming true. Let me first read chapter 3. It says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Where is Zechariah? He's in the temple. So Luke is saying, this is happening. This is what God's doing. And this is what he says. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So now the angel has shown up. He's speaking to Zechariah in the temple. And here's the promise he gives. The last two verses of the Old Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children. What stood out to me in that verse is I really hadn't paid attention to that phrase. Turning the hearts of fathers to their children. So Malachi's written... God is silent 400 years, and now God shows up in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth to fulfill what was last spoken. John, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, will prepare the way for the great and awesome day when Jesus comes. And this will happen by fathers turning their hearts toward their children. This is part of 
the verses that really stood out to me. Because <clears throat> what does Luke say about children in verse 16? If you look in verse 16, it says, the hearts of children will be turned to the Lord. So as children turn to the Lord, what happens is their father's hearts are turned to the children, and so then those father's hearts also turn to the Lord. That's the connection between those two. So as children come to Jesus, here's the application. So will their parents. As children turn to God, so will their fathers, and I'm going to include in their mothers as well. And what's been fascinating to me about this verse, and there's been a stirring in my heart for some time that God's going to do some wonderful things next year in the church, and I can't wait to see what that's going to look like. And he's given us indications that he's already doing it. Because I, I, I only look at numbers when I really am curious. And so I know God's been growing things in back in the kids' area, but I wasn't sure what that really looked like. So I had them run the statistics from the last three years, and we've seen some interesting growth in the kids' areas. In particular, this last year, we've seen a 25% increase of kids in the kids' areas this year. That's a lot of kids. Last month, we averaged more than 140 kids in the kids' areas in the month of November. That's a lot of kids. So if you're not praying for our kids' workers, you need to start praying for our kids' workers. If you're not a kids' worker, you might need to become a kids' worker. You might need some help back there. It's unbelievable. And in fact, I'm curious, how many of you, a bit of a fulfillment of this verse, would raise your hand to say, a large part of why I'm here, a big reason why we're here in church is because I wanted to see my kids in church? Would anybody say that that's me? I know that I've spoken with several of you. We've got a number of you that have said, that's how the Lord has done it that I know I want my kids raised in a godly setting, so I'm also going to show up and get involved in church. And that's part of what God does. God prepares the way for Jesus to come into families by bringing children unto himself and turning parents' hearts toward their believing children. It's powerful. Would you like to see what God's doing in the kids' areas? Let's show that video if we could. Here's what's cool. I'm going to have him play this video. I asked about two months ago if they would just kind of film what's happening in the kids' areas. And then as I was preparing for this message about a week ago, I told them, I'd like to show it on December 11th. And I hadn't really read through that scripture. And all of a sudden, when I'm diving into the scripture, I texted and said, hey, do we have that video? It all of a sudden became really, really important. So we do. So let's show that video. But you'll have to see what God's doing in the kids' areas. You know, one of the other indicators that God is at work is a growing emphasis in prayer. It's mean to see people respond to that. Uh, we held our last men's breakfast a week ago. And it was our last because we're going to shift from a Saturday morning men's breakfast to a first Friday men's prayer. We're going to start this in January. And it's been interesting as I, we began to talk through that and that wanting to make that shift to find out that that's where the men's breakfast came from. Men's breakfast started 30 years ago in Larry Benison's basement as a prayer meeting for men. That's where it really began. And as Leon was sharing that uh, during the men's breakfast, it just the Lord stirred in my heart to say, and because of the commitment of men praying, it prepared the way for what I wanted to do in this church for the next 30 years. And I firmly believe as we shift back to that, to say we want to make a, a growing emphasis in prayer, that we will prepare the way for what God wants to do in the next 30 years in this church so Jesus wait to return. I really believe that. So I'm believing that as we create and continue to grow an emphasis in prayer, God's going to continue to prepare the way for what he wants to do here. I look forward to seeing what God's going to do next year. How about you? I eagerly anticipate what he wants to do through this church. Um, so I'm going to tell you guys up front, any guys in this room, I'm coming after you because I want you praying. I'm coming. So expect a text at 5.30 a.m. Friday, January 6th. 
because we're going to pray from 6 to 7 a.m., to say, where are you? We're coming together for prayer. Man, lead your households in prayer. Lead your households, lead your kids. You know, as you turn your hearts to your kids who are back in the kids' areas worshiping Jesus, may you also lead them into greater depths of the love of our Father as you display love for them as well. Jesus did not just come to make us right with God and give us forgiveness. That wasn't the first thing he did. He first called people to be prepared to receive his coming. If we want Jesus to show up in a powerful way in our church, we must be prepared for his arrival. God's growing in our kids' areas. He's growing those areas out to turn the hearts of fathers and mothers toward their children and to Jesus. This is God's doing. But I also know that we can prepare the way in prayer. And this is why we're going to start the year in 21 days of prayer and fasting. You've maybe seen that in your announcements. I'll be preaching about it on January 1st. But I'd like for you to start preparing yourself for that now. Plan to be a part of an extra emphasis in prayer. We'll have prayer nights Monday through Wednesday of the first week of January. Those dates are in your program this morning. Plan to participate in a 21-day fast, and there's three, one of three ways I'd like you to do that. Could you do a Daniel fast for 21 days? If you don't know what that is, you can search for it online. There's lots of information. Maybe could you give up lunch for a week or a lunch for 21 days to say, I'm going to take that time and devote it to the Lord? Because we don't just fast for the sake of fasting. We fast from food so that we can feast on God. So I would challenge you, could you give up lunch for 21 days and take that as extra time with the Lord? Or maybe the Lord would call you to give up food for 21 days, that you have three meal times a day that you could give to the Lord. In some way, I'd love for you to participate, be that a Daniel fast, give up lunch, or just give up food. If we want Jesus to show up, we need to be prepared. And this happens by going back to 2 Chronicles 7.14, I preached on it, where we're instructed to humble ourselves, seek the face of God in prayer, and turn from all evil. You know, as a servant of God, John became a catalyst to encourage others to live before God in a way that honored the Creator. John called people to turn from all evil and devote their lives to God. And this is how we prepare ourselves for Him as well. Upon receiving the news of God granting a child, Zechariah asks for proof. And all I got to say is, be careful what you ask for. Zechariah got what he didn't anticipate. He received proof in the form of an inability to speak. He wanted a sign, and he got it. Just probably not the sign he was hoping for, right? But what's interesting is Zechariah's silence. It actually serves to guard the news of God's unfolding purpose until the time is right. So God even uses Zechariah's unbelief for his purposes. God's always working. Placed next to Zechariah's response is that of Elizabeth. Her open-handed acceptance of God's intervention on her behalf contrasts with her husband's hesitation and unbelief. You know, one of the things we'll notice as we work through Luke is women being recognized as recipients of God's favor and as models of God's faithfulness and purpose. It's really cool. I love this about Luke. And the reason Luke does this is because Jesus does. He's continually lifting up women in the first century where they were not. As we were working in Jerusalem, we had a lot of single teachers that worked with us at the school. So I thought it would be fun to do a study on Jesus and women. So I'm gonna, I look forward to sharing some of that information with you as we go through Luke. It's fascinating. The responses of Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're placed side by side in a way to ask, now how will others respond to this news of God sending his son, God wanting to redeem his people? What has been your response to God sending his son Jesus? Have you asked for more proof or have you taken God at his word? Have you responded to God's activity in your life? Are you doubting God, or are you a model of faith? For God to lead us effectively, 
we must be ready to respond to him. Are you prepared to hear from God? Are you actively preparing the way for others to experience him? To receive the promises of God, we must first receive him. God will bring his promises to pass because he desires a relationship with us, and he's preparing the way for them to happen. And he's doing it in our church. So I challenge you, keep your eyes open. I'm trying to give you the indications that God's at work here, and watch to see what God does. But let's also be a part of preparing the way for him to come. You can be confident the promises of God will come to pass in the right time. God will bring his promise to pass. He will perform his word. We find in our passage that Zechariah must listen to God and trust that he will do what he's been promised. We see that Elizabeth does not react as a victim who's been bitter at God for lack of a child. She didn't despise God. In fact, she seems to have accepted this fate and served God faithfully anyway. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they accepted God's providence in their life as though to say, God, we know that you do open and close the womb. We believe the Bible. If you give us a baby, that would be wonderful. We'd love to be parents. But if not, we're still going to love and serve you. And that's what they did. They still served faithfully. They still worshiped. They kept praying. And they're still asking God for a baby. We see that because Zachariah's prayer was answered. So the question is, is it okay to keep asking? Absolutely. It's no problem at all. They keep asking. And Elizabeth keeps trusting, believing. Oh, for more Elizabeths in life. Joyful no matter life's circumstances. It's, it's hard to see people who claim to know Christ walking around downtrodden because they don't think they're where they'd like to be in life. Turns out God has you right where he wants you. Your job is not to change your circumstances. Your job is to live for God. Find your satisfaction in him. Allow him to align things as he sees fit. Quit trying to control everything. You're not God. Elizabeth, because her satisfaction was in God, not in life circumstances, she rejoices that God smiles upon her and grants her a child. She rejoices as the object of God's personal concern. She doesn't just take the child and no longer follow God. That could be the response of some. She instead rejoices in God and raises John to serve him. Scripture tells us that she and Zechariah, they go back to their village. And what does Elizabeth do? Nothing for five months. I think she's worshiping God, rubbing her belly, making baby blankets, getting the nursery ready, and rejoicing that she has a mute husband. I'll let you think about that. You know, we should also note that what's been a long-term uh, void in this couple's life was actually part of God's sovereign plan. God steps in late in the game to change the direction of past disappointments. And the blessing was sweeter once it came because when the child arrived, it wasn't taken for granted. The child clearly was what all children are, a gift from God. The seemingly random falling of the lot to Zechariah was actually designed to set the stage for this fresh entry of God into this couple's life and into the nation's life as well. And I love this for Elizabeth. God loves her, and he blesses her, and he's answered her prayer. She's going to be a mom, and her baby is going to be a prophet, and prepare the way for the coming of Jesus, fulfilling the promises of Malachi. Sometimes God's timing, though different than ours, is infinitely wiser. God who created the universe just might more, know more than us. And here's the takeaway. What God promises, he will 
perform. Only he's going to do it in his time, and sometimes in surprising ways. When the time of fulfillment comes, we realize that his timing was far better than ours. Perhaps we sometimes wish we could be in the boardroom of heaven telling God how to make plans, right? This passage calls us to see that his plan has its own design and timing. The creator of the universe, he knows what he's doing. Sometimes, you know, like in Zechariah, we talk too much and we wait too little. And I think it's time we reverse that. Allow God to bring things together in his time. Remain faithful and wait on God. He knows what he's doing. Whether it be the loss of a child to premature death, a financial collapse, dealing with a child who falls into calamity or serious sin, or an unfortunate accident, the hard times are not always self-explanatory. God never guarantees that life will come without pain and disappointment. He doesn't. He simply promises to be with us through it all. And he can even bring all things together for our good and his glory, so long as we keep the right attitude about it. And so the central issue is this. God's concern is how we handle the challenges we face. Bitterness will yield the fruit of anger and frustration, sapping all life from us. Trust and dependence will cause us to find fulfillment in ways we would never have considered otherwise. God truly is gracious in seemingly mysterious ways. Sometimes we're deprived of something because God has better things awaiting us down the road. Sometimes a roadblock is not a dead end, but a fresh turn in the road. You have to recognize those things. I'm going to invite Mark and, and Ashley Whitehead to come up if they can. You know, it's been interesting to be able to journey this last year with them and to be able to hear their life story, to understand that God's promise for their life came to fulfillment in a very different way. So I just wanted them to be able to share their story with you. And Samuel's going to let us know he's here this morning. We're glad for that. Uh, good morning. Um, we're Mark and Ashley Whitehead. Um, and he asked us to share our testimony about how God has been faithful in promises. And um, the evidence of that is this little guy right here. Um, for those of you that don't know, this is Samuel Whitehead. He was born on Halloween. Um, he'll be six weeks old tomorrow. And Mark and I adopted him. Um, just a little bit of background on how we got to this point. Um, we've been trying to get pregnant for five years. And... Um, going through different fertility options and even trying in vitro fertilization, which was um, unsuccessful. So um, it was just really devastating and we you know, didn't really know where to go from there, um, but we knew that God had given us promise of, of children, so. Yeah, kind of after the in vitro, um, we just, uh, we decided um, to take some time and um, separately and spend some time alone with God. And um, personally, uh, during that time, um, I, I would have, I had some honest conversations with God, I guess that's the best way to say it, and just say, said, you know, God, you've promised in your word, you know, um, be fruitful and multiply, you know, uh, your quiver will be full of arrows. All these passages of scripture just kind of came um, to me, and I was praying through those, and, and I just really felt like God was saying, you know, um, yield to me during that time. Mm. And um, both of us kind of, once we had had that separate time of prayer, we came back together and um, we both felt like God said adoption. And um, so we started down that road. And, and honestly, I felt 
we both felt like after we made that decision to yield to God in that area and say, God, your will be done, not ours, that doors just begin to open up, little things begin to happen, family gathered around us, um, James 127 ministry, we got a scholarship or um, a matching grant from the church, and, and financially we were blessed. Um, this little guy came along October 31st, like Ashley said, um, uh, that we got a phone call that the mom had chosen us, and then and she was in labor all in the same phone call, and so it just happened and really fast. And where were fast. you, Mark? Uh, I was here. We were here <laughs> at Pumpkin Palooza. Um, an hour, an hour before it was starting, we were over in that room over there, and we and got Pastor Jim's looking for him everywhere. Yeah, Where's Pastor, my volunteers? Yeah, right, right. Uh, we we were helping, and it was it was just a crazy crazy night, and 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 God just blessed throughout the whole thing. We were down in um, Indianapolis at the hospital, and that first day we came in, and um, the nurse that was with us that day was a nurse that had gone through in vitro fertilization, and it hadn't worked for her, and she had adopted four kids, and so God put that person in our life that first, the very first day that we we had Samuel, and in so many ways God has just. Um, blessed us. And um, I was listening to a song earlier this week. Um, it's by Bethel. And there's a line in that song that says, there has never been a day where God has not been by our side. Hmm. And that's honestly the way we feel about Samuel. We are blessed that God gave us the opportunity to parent Samuel. And he, he fulfilled his promises to us through Samuel. And so. it's awesome. Yeah, a couple of the things I was going to share. Um, we were probably just a few months into this process. We were probably like knee deep in paperwork and it's an emotional roller coaster going through adoption. And I looked at Mark and I said, I don't know what it is that God sees in us that he thinks we can handle this going through <laughs> infertility, going through in vitro and now going through adoption. I was just like, I don't know how we're going to do it. Mm. And I was thinking about it the other day when, when Pastor Jack asked us to share and I just thought, you know, it's not about us. It was never about about us, what we could or couldn't handle. It was about, it's all been about God and about him, him proving faithful and him, you know, giving us the desires of our heart and keeping his promises. And, you know, we just give all the glory to God through this process. Um, and through this whole time, we've, something that we, we keep saying is, you know, this is going to be our story. We didn't know when we're in the middle of infertility, we're like, we don't understand. We don't understand what's God, what's God doing, what the plan is. We couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, we just had to say, you know, we know that God has a plan, even though we can't see it, and this is going to be our story, and we're going to be able to minister somehow through this. So um, I feel like through this, I've already been able to talk to um, other women that have gone through infertility and had gone through miscarriages, and um, even talking up here on Sunday morning, this is not my forte, talking in front of people, <laughs> but, you know, I just, we just had to say, this is our story, and we, you know, hopefully we're ministering to somebody today you know, touching somebody's heart with our story. So um, that's all we want. Um, so, and um, we're very open about what um, the process of adoption and his story. And so if anybody would like to come talk to us, we'd be open to, to sharing more about it. So. Praise the Lord. Can we thank the Whiteheads this morning? <laughs> Sometimes a roadblock is not a dead end. Sometimes it's simply a bend in the road. Because God does truly keep his promises. And I do believe that, that God answering their personal prayer will have corporate implications. Because that's what God does. When we wait patiently on the Lord, he often gives us more than we imagined possible. There are times when God has held something back in order to allow himself to show up powerfully in your life for you 
and as a testimony for others. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they wanted a child. They wound up with a prophet. God's ways are set to his clock, and they are often filled with things that cause us to wonder as we rejoice at his surprises. You know, when that job promotion is delayed, trust that God knows what he's doing. When your child's running from God, respond in prayer, not in bitterness toward God. You can be confident in the promises of God. You might be facing some very difficult circumstances, but God really can bring all things together for your good so long as you keep the right perspective about it. You might have stopped growing spiritually, but you can be confident that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. You could wind up facing temptations this week. But if you look for the escape, often before you put yourself in that temptation, God can help you escape it. God's promises are true, and they are for you. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were ordinary individuals, faithful to an extraordinary God. People looked down on Elizabeth because she couldn't have children, but she's confident. She knows God loves her, that God knows her, and that God has kept his eye on her. And this is true for all of us. God knows you, he loves you, and he's absolutely kept his eye on you. Elizabeth declared that God took away her reproach from among people. Reproach means that Elizabeth was reviled, disgraced. She suffered emotional and verbal abuse for 30, 40, maybe 50 years. The other religious women would consider her cursed of God. They would spread rumors about her. Maybe she doesn't love God. Maybe there's sin in her life. Maybe her husband is not as holy as he thinks he is. They think they're priest, and she's a descendant of Aaron. But God didn't even open her womb. He doesn't even want them to multiply. How important could they be? Had Elizabeth done anything wrong? No. She wasn't perfect, but we're told she loved and served God. Was God cursing her? No. He was just working out his sovereign plan. All of this was to prepare for the coming of Jesus to deal with our sin and shame. Jesus dies in our place for our sins. He's our high priest. He's our sacrifice, our mediator. He is who we turn to to have our sins forgiven. And sinners like Zechariah, those of us who have unbelief and evil in our hearts, we come to Jesus to be forgiven of sin. We come to him to remove our unbelief. For those of you who are here and you're like Zechariah, living in unbelief, I want you to find faith in Jesus. And for those of you who are victims, you've been abused, cheated on, beat up, yelled at, you're like Elizabeth. God comes to take that on himself. When Jesus went to the cross, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Jesus wants to lift you from that today, all of your shame. He wants to take away your reproach so that you can do like Elizabeth did, that you can worship, you can celebrate, you can enjoy him. Five months she worships because she knows that God loves her. Many of you need to live in that kind of confidence today. Do you know that God loves you? For those who have sinned, I want you to give your sin and your unbelief to Jesus. Find faith in him today. How could your life be different if you had confidence in the promises of God, confidence in his love for you? For those of you who have been sinned against, I want you to give your shame to Jesus. I want all of us to worship as Elizabeth did with joy because God is good. What would your days look like if you no longer lived in shame but in victory, in joy, in Jesus' name? I invite y'all to stand as we're going to close in song this morning. I told you we're going to close in worship today, so we're going to sing a couple of songs because I want us to close as this passage does 
by leaving everything here, your unbelief, your shame, and to walk out with praise on your lips, victory in your hearts. So as you're standing, I'd like to ask if you could bow your heads for just a moment. If you're here today and you would say, I've been living like Zechariah, I've been living in unbelief, but I want to live by faith today. You can make that decision, make that commitment, and walk out of here in faith and in belief instead of in unbelief. So if that's you today and you'd say, you know what, that's me. I want to turn my life over to the Lord. I want to find my faith in him. If you simply raise your hand, I want to pray with you this morning before we go to say, you know what, that's me. I've been living in unbelief, but I want to live in faith today. Anybody here this morning that would say, I no longer want to live in unbelief. I want to live by faith in Jesus' name. We're going to close in song. Here's what I'd like us to do. If I, I could invite the prayer teams to come forward this morning. As we worship this morning, a couple of things that you can do. Number one, we've always got communion stations set up. The communion, the focus there is that we want the presence of Jesus to come and change everything. That's what he does. So you can take communion. Or you can come forward and be a part of, of, of being prayed for by the prayer team. So prayer team members, as you're coming forward, they're going to be on the sides here, and you can come forward for prayer. But I would say if if you are in a place of unbelief like Zachariah or living in a place of shame that you need God to remove your reproach this morning, if you want to do that in your seats, that's fine. But if you want to come forward in response to say, you know what, God, I want to leave my unbelief and, and my shame at the altar this morning, I encourage you to do that. Step out from where you're at as they dive into song. Leave your unbelief and leave your shame here. I want you to walk out of here and praise this morning. Can we do that today? Amen. Amen.